0: Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. This is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls. And uh, I'm talking today to David Nickturn, who I'm sure is on many other Be Here Now Network podcasts. He's uh, he has got multiple citizenship. He's a musician, and he's uh, he's been involved with Christian Das' albums as a producer, and he also tours with him frequently. And he is a uh, but but I'm talking to him in part today because he just published a book called Awakening from the Daydream. And it's uh, he's also a teacher of Buddhism. He is in the lineage of, I hope I pronounced this right. Well, Ch- Chogyam 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 Trungpa Rinpoche. Trungpa Rinpoche. And uh, in his book, it says it's a tradition that combines contemporary secular approach to meditation with ancient practices. So, um I may refer to this from time to time, but I urge everybody to read it. It's a short book, which to me is a big plus. <laughs> a lot of these books are uh, long and hard to read. I find them particularly hard to read, anything about Buddhism. And his, uh, he has an essay that he was able to reprint from his teacher. That's at the end of the book. But the actual book is only 125 pages long. So I, I think that if you have the slightest bit, as I do, of confusion about... Buddhist traditions, this is as good as you're going to get. Um, so I guess it's worth framing it. You describe these sort of six levels of consciousness that your tradition divides the mind into or human behavior into or consciousness into. Um, maybe just describe those quickly to frame the conversation.
1: Yeah. So the, the book is based on an um, ancient diagram called The Wheel of Life. It's a portrait of life, and uh, it's in particular a portrait of what's called samsara, which is, um, you could say, life uh, which goes around and around in circles uh, with a repeat sign on it for the musical people out there. So um, the six realms are kind of descriptions of different states of mind, um, kind of I call them dioramas, Disney world of the mind, and then also they manifest as you know, ways of being in the world. It's like a, a mirror image. So, for example, if you have a lot of aggression that you're dealing with and hatred and violence, you end up living in a world that looks and feels like that, external to internal. And that's called a hell realm. So that's kind of the lowest of the realms in terms of uh, I'm glad you're starting with the lowest
0: and Good. then going no, to no, the highest. You can go either in the way. book, you start with the highest yeah. and go to the lowest. I, I like ending on a happy note.
1: Yeah, well, in a nutshell, it's sort of a portrait of our relationship to pleasure and pain. Hmm. That's really what it's about. And um, as human beings, we're sort of moving between those two pretty fairly regularly. And obviously, our approach is trying to maximize pleasure and comfort and security and minimize pain. but Often by trying to do that, we actually end up with the opposite. <laughs> hmm. So that's um, that's the kind of basic twist, you could say. So the, the hell realm is just a portrait of, of aggression, anger, depression, um, any place where you find yourself in a world that you're trying to, to reject. You, you can't make friends with the world that you live in. And so you end up in a kind of claustrophobic um, psychological landscape, which can then easily manifest, as you know, then... You know, you end up in a war zone, you end up with uh, enemies all over the place, and you end up with no sense of ease or peace of mind at all, ever. So that's the kind of darkest outcome that you could say. Um, then it kind of, as, as you move it up from there, if you want to look at it that way, all of them are considered some kind of trap. That's that's the important point. But as you move up, then you get a glimmer of hope. Okay, I could just have, if I could just have one thing that would be pleasurable, Um, And and then that produces a lot of craving. So that realm is called the hungry ghost Mm -hmm. realm. And it's a metaphor, even though this book, you know, what this is based on is 2,500 years old. It's really a metaphor for addiction Mm. and grasping and clinging as a sort of solution. So even though there might be a sort of thought, oh, if I only had this, if I had a beer, if I had, uh, you know, a shot of heroin, if I had, if only somebody would love me, you know, uh, then I could be happy. But the grasping and clinging is so strong that the, as soon as you move towards the object, it kind of moves away from you. And so there's no fulfillment or satisfaction. Uh, but there's still some hope that there could be. So that's—in the book, we tried to update some of these ideas. Like in the traditional diagram of the, of the Wheel of Life, a hungry ghost is portrayed as having a huge belly and a tiny little mouth and a little neck. So the metaphor is that he can never get enough— can never get enough Mm. through that little mouth to fill that big stomach. Mm. So it could be, you know, I mean, literally somebody with a food addiction or um, alcohol addiction or drug addiction, love addiction. There is no contentment. There's no satisfaction possible because the craving is so strong. Addiction for publicity. Anything. Mm. That's the thing about the, the, the psychology of these realms is that they're very familiar. Any human being, when you hear about these, if they're described well, which is, what I try to do in the book is make the description more contemporary and a little less archaic. You see that it's a self-portrait of the human race. That's really, that's really what it is from a very kind of total point of view. So the Hungry Ghost, then, um, you know, if there's a sort of possibility of stabilizing some kind of pleasure, you move into strong habits and ritual behavior, right? So now you go, okay, I had that chocolate milkshake yesterday— and it kind of did the trick. So now I'm going to have one every day at 4 p.m. <laughs> and you move into what's called the animal realm, which in the traditional literature is, um, you know, literally animals. You could be reborn. You could be reborn as an animal. In that way of looking at it, uh, somebody was reborn as an animal. There's an animal in that. In that, there's a being in that body. But in this case, we're describing more kind of mind state of thick ritual behavior. Um, we did, we're doing it this way because we always have done it this way. And, like, for example, religion could be practiced in that way. You know, it's Thursday, you've got to go to the temple, you've got to do the thing, you've got to wear the thing, and you have no idea what the inner meaning of any of it is. So um, it's that kind of approach. Uh, so the animals have, um, you know, some possibility of, of pleasure, but it's in a very fixed and sort of thick way. And then moving up um, in terms of possibilities, at least, you're into what's called the human realm. So, of course, um, this means that uh, all the things that we associate with humanness, which is we relate to pleasure and pain. We understand that our lives are impermanent. We have doubts. We have questions. We're uncertain about the future. We're always trying to maximize our pleasure and security. We're always afraid that we're going to lose it but at least there's a kind of flickering quality in that realm between pleasure and pain you find yourself curious you know you might take a course you might go to maui like we do to take a workshop with a with a teacher you might uh study philosophy uh you you might learn new new skills but there's a sort of underlying uncertainty and um you know a kind of um uh reaching out uh, for something that would, would would make the situation feel stable, but a sort of shifting sands underneath it all. So I'd say, like, you know, I, I originally, in the original book, I had a song for each realm, and this would be slip sliding away, right? Mm-hmm. The more, the nearer the destination, the more you're slip sliding away. So the human realm is very poignant. It's got a lot of passion, it's got a lot of uh, curiosity. And from a Buddhist point of view, it's a great place to be because you. Have the possibility of really exploring your world, learning more about it, seeing what causes suffering, what causes contentment. You know, you, you that's, that's sort of the place where you can really practice um, dharma. Then, you know, it, it, as you move towards sort of stabilizing pleasurable outcomes, which is how you move towards the upper realm, you get into a really interesting realm, I think, in, particularly in terms of today's conversation, what's going on in the world. It's called the jealous gods, the titans. And they are really seeing a possibility to have it all. That's what humans know they can't have it all. But the jealous gods think, maybe I could have it all. And so they're addicted to power, competition, envy. Uh, it's a, for people like us who've operated in the entertainment world, it's, it's, it's a great metaphor. Um, in, the, in, the, in the jealous god realm, for example, if you're out there driving your 350-foot yacht through the water— and somebody passes you in a four hundred foot yacht, you're having a bad day. <laughs> the rest of us would be like, fantastic, you know. If you're the eleventh richest person in the world and you didn't make the top ten, you're having a bad day.
0: When I was in the music business at the corporate level, uh, Entertainment Weekly used to publish a uh, Power List, the top hundred most mm. powerful people in the entertainment business. And there was one year where I think I was on the list. Two of those years, and <laughs> and. uh uh, but there was one year where a bunch of us were all in the same corporate world, and uh, one guy wasn't on it, and the hysteria, yes, and anger yeah. about that—a uh, list which objectively meant really nothing. I mean, it had no influence over how much money anyone made. It wasn't like winning the Nobel Peace Prize when sure. I was going to remember it when sure. you're old or anything like that. But the—it was—it was an incredible. Weeks of hysteria, you know, so I I, uh, I agree. The entertainment business is one of many uh, forums where that takes place, as, of course, is uh, politics.
1: Yeah, politics
0: is good. I mean, I
1: think the election... And
0: nations, really, yeah. when you look at the rulers yeah. of different sure. nations relative to other nations, I think we, we see a lot of that. I mean, this is going to be... Listen to after the election but after the election you know there's still going to be somebody uh, in charge of north korea and in charge of russia yes, yes. and uh, you, you know they're they're unhappy guys you know you don't feel yeah. they're happy
1: yeah in 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 samsara in this kind of cyclic existence nobody's truly happy mm. which is interesting because then you go to the next realm which is called the god realm or the devaloka and you think like from a lot of people's point of view that's it that's the goal of religion mm. that's the goal of uh you know a materialistic outlook. you made it you've got there so the god realm is kind of intriguing in a way because uh, a lot of people think of it as the as the as the you know ultimate goal but in the in the Buddhist analysis, it's just a finer weave of trap it's mm. like a sand trap where the sand is made of gold, but your ball is still stuck there. <laughs> You know, so, you know, but there has to be a sense of having made it. Like the jealous gods feel like they haven't quite made it, so they're competing with each other. The gods feel like, okay, can rest. They have a certain kind of peace in a way. But the problem with it is it's not permanent, even though it feels like it is. So it's like it's something that's reached the, the apex of its arc, but it's going to start to decline, and it can decline really sharply. So uh, maybe an analogy for it is like, an aging Hollywood star. You had it all, and then you start to lose it. It's really bad news when you start to lose it. Well, a- Anybody aging. Yeah, anybody <laughs> aging. is that's, Well, that's a good point because all of these realms are, any one of us in a single day is going through all six of them. You can recognize moments that yeah. are colored by this. So,
0: what is the point of knowing this?
1: What is the point of of of, of knowing these categories? <laughs> yeah. It's
0: kind of interesting to think of these categories, right. and yeah. uh, it adds a little bit of a flashlight of awareness to certain right. moments one has. I found myself thinking when I was reading sure. it. But 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 what is what is the real benefit of of, of, yeah. of knowing about these realms in terms of being a more complete, happy, or
1: yep. enlightened? Well, and that's Person. of course the question: is Are you just sign, shining a flashlight in it to see? Okay, I'm in prison here. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. Ha ha ha! Not so funny, you know. Is or is there some pointing to uh, a way out of it? And definitely, from a Buddhist point of view, the Buddha is not trapped in the six realms. That's one way of defining a Buddha. He's not caught there. Now, the Buddhas appear in the six realms as teachers because they know the game that's being played. Now,
0: let me just say when you say. Buddha.
1: Yeah, Buddha. Um,
0: we've all seen these statues of, yes. <laughs> of Buddha with a big belly. I have a beautiful wooden one in my in my living room. No doubt. And I get a good vibe from it. <laughs> but are you talking about a historical person who lived, or are you talking about a category of
1: being? Well, both. Uh, and, and if you're a Buddhist and you don't believe it's a category of being, you only think it's a historical person who lived, I think you're kind of missing the boat or missing the point. So it's interesting, you know. I've been teaching a lot in Japan lately. I just got back Monday night, and I'm teaching Buddhism in Japan, which is what would that be the equivalent be of a Japanese person coming here and and teaching leading, rock and roll or, or leading the you know the ceremony at your at your uh, temple there on on Yom Kippur. Mm. <laughs> but however, they have millions of statues all over of Buddha, and I often say you you guys have the Buddha statues, but the Buddha statue is meant to imply a way of going about something rather than something to worship. So Buddha was is definitely the kind of teacher who turns it back to the. the but there
0: was somebody. There was, the sutras so, and all that stuff.
1: Some a, a particular person. It was a dude. So, so who was who was he? And who would play him? That's the most important thing, besides can Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think the notion is there that this is an archetype, hmm. actual person. You know, probably similar to to Jesus, there was a history there, interestingly enough, in the time of the Buddha, there was no written uh, record, so for two hundred years there was an oral it's tradition. oral right two hundred years then they started writing the stuff down and and then they translated it like what I'm studying was originally in Pali and then in Sanskrit and then in Tibetan and then into English, and now I'm translating it back into Japanese, so you know there is a game yeah. of telephone that must be going on, of course somewhere along yeah, the way yeah. But the fundamentals are pretty clear. The Buddha was somebody who, in my way of looking at it, was as an individual, was an explorer, somebody who did not accept the norms of what was uh, presented to him, which is the case with a lot of these teachers. But the word Buddha simply means awakened, somebody who's awake. So hmm. in that case, it applies towards what you'd call Buddha nature. It's the fundamental quality or nature of human beings. And, and so it's both, and that's an important point. It's not just one or the other. You know, you write a lot about suffering, and every Buddhist that I've ever heard
0: talk talks about suffering. Mm-hmm. And what I always get out of it is, uh, one's supposed to kind of accept and transcend suffering, and that there's a deeper reality than the suffering, uh, and uh, not not fight it or something. You know, and uh, and I'm down with that. You know, all that rings <laughs> yep. true to me. Right. But sometimes it feels like there's almost a um, attraction to suffering. Mm-hmm that it almost proves one's spirituality. To... Now, are
1: you compared to Judaism, for example? <laughs> no, compared to— Because I think
0: Jews are the ones who really know how to suffer. Well, I think it's true of a lot <laughs> right. of different traditions. I think Catholics are pretty good at it, too. Right. But, but,
1: but, And for the audience, I just want to clarify, this is two two Jews on Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah. Well, almost—we we were saying before, an right. incredibly
0: high percentage of American Buddhist t- teachers are uh, were born into the Jewish— uh, Families, you know, uh, whether they were (laughs) raised religious or not. Great way of putting it. But it's it's an incredible high percentage, Mm -hmm. and that's a whole other. That's be fun to talk about, actually. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I I don't want to leave this subject about uh, uh, about Mm -hmm. uh, it's again. I think it's it's one thing to uh, not identify reality, ultimate reality, with suffering, and to and to know that there's that it's it's another uh, part Mm -hmm. of the illusion. And it's another thing to me to seek it out, uh, and yeah. and I guess the extreme example of that would be if you look at some of the you know uh, silly movies about the Vatican where the guys flagellate themselves, sure. you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's sort of an extreme ex- example of it. But but it, you know it it um, you know I have a therapist who's a, who's a Buddhist. You know, oh, do you I, really? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's he's studied a lot of different traditions, uh-huh. but I I you know, and he's in his eighties, but I think his. His, he he talks more about Buddha and Buddhism than than anything else, and it's just clearly that's 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 the center of mm-hmm. his thing. And 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 you know he's always telling me about the, you know the balance and everything that's life and all that stuff. I said yeah, but you get that I do prefer like to be good things than bad things to happen, you mm-hmm. know. And that doesn't mean that I, I want to become um, a prisoner of my reaction to things that are against right. my wish. And I do recognize that there's a lot of learning and growth that can come from that. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to actually seek it out. I yeah. mean, and, and 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 you know, is, it, it, do you do you notice that sometimes? Do you think there's there's like almost like a glorification of suffering sometimes? Well,
1: let me be like you know. Uh, let me just talk from the point of view of having studied Buddhism for 45 years at this point, and so I'm just going to go right to what it actually teaches, not what different people might be pulling out of it, because it's very clear what it actually says, um, is that suffering exists, would be a fair way to say it, Correct. as a byproduct of of the conditioning that we have, the patterns, the, the way that our minds are conditioned and shaped, and that First of all, not bypassing that realization that suffering exists in order to try to skip that step and get into some kind of happy happy meal situation right then, two is to look uh right at the origin of that of that suffering. where does it come from? How does it come about? what's the source? and three is to liberate oneself from it that is these these are the sort of four major tenets, the four noble Truths as they're called. And the third one is cessation of suffering. So I would say that's not based on an attempt to prolong it or to, um, you know, seek it out in any way, shape, or form. You're trying to um, actually see the source of it and and, uh, cut the ties, cut the root of it. Another
0: subject— You know, I'm in the middle of, I'm writing a book about the year 1967, speaking of going back in, oh, in, in, wow. in time, I'm, okay. I'm on a book deadline. Uh, by the time right. this airs, I'll have, you know, finished it
1: right.
0: or a version of it. Or it'll be 2067. And, and so, um, well, the idea is next year is the 50th anniversary of uh, of, of everything that happened in 1967. Summer so wow. of Love, Sergeant Peppers, Muhammad Ali right, uh, wow. uh, mm-hmm. being convicted for avoiding the draft, the right. uh, the worst urban riots. Uh, the year that Martin Luther King came out against the war in Vietnam. Uh, like the first album by um, the Grateful Dead, by Jimi Hendrix, by Janis Joplin, by wow. Pink Floyd, by the Velvet Underground, okay. by Sly and the Family Stone. You know, so it's an inter- It's it's just a fun year to, to 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 focus on. But one of the things uh, that I'm also exactly in the middle of trying to write about is the way sort of Eastern spirituality suddenly popped into the consciousness yeah. of people who were uh, thought of themselves as hippies or had taken sure. psychedelics or were part of some kind of counterculture it had obviously been studied uh, you know for hundreds and hundreds of years and even even in the u.s. Uh, there were a series of teachers that had, that had written books and you know it was certainly part of the the, the beat culture and jd salinger wrote about it but but it, it had a pop quality in this starting in the sixties that it hadn't happened before and, and initially it all kind of was perceived as just sort of uh, kind of one thing, you know. So, you know kind, sort of of wave, kind of one wave? Non-Jewish, non-Christian, <laughs> non-Ayn Rand materialism, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, you, you know, just uh, yeah. mysticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And— um, and and to this day, when I you know people, people notice I'm a vegetarian or something, they say oh you're a Buddhist, I said no no not really exactly a Buddhist, but you know I it's, I like Buddhists mm-hmm. you know I but but uh, and not that all not, there are plenty of non vegetarian Buddhists, but in terms of meditation, which is at the core of of the practice of so many mm-hmm. traditions, um, it seems to me. And I do know in some way that I can't prove that all of these things end up sort of in one place. You know, it just doesn't seem plausible to me that so many wise people would, like, get it... You know, I I believe that the ultimate reality, they're all part of the same Mm -hmm. reality. And uh, But but there's one kind of meditation which, to me, seems to be uh, about tuning in to the eternal and to the divine... And another kind of meditation, which seems to be about uh, a- aspiring to, to cultivate an observer that is not uh, uh, attached to uh, uh, thoughts or emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, are these in conflict with each other?
1: Well, here, it's interesting when you talk about meditation because there's so many varieties to find the thread, what unifies them and then you can talk about what the differences are so there's a kind of broad definition of meditation in the in the tibetan tradition and the the word is in tibetan is gom g o m and it literally means to become familiar with something like you're mixing your mind your awareness with something so it describes a very natural part of the human mind which is that it's always you know looking identifying with things seeing what the relationship is so, you know, that way you go, okay, I'm gomming this, I'm gomming that, you know, I'm relating to this, I'm relating to that. You could almost look at it as a way of, like, I'm meditating on the menu in this restaurant. I'm putting my mind onto that so I can figure out what to order. Well, is that, That's a form isn't of that more
0: actually. the word concentration would seem to be more associated well, okay, with then, focusing yeah. on the menu
1: than meditation? Well, then, even within that, there's like literally hundreds of practices, even within Buddhism. So if you spread it out to all the different spiritual traditions, there's going to be thousands or tens of thousands of approaches. So then you look at, well, okay, if you're doing a particular practice, what is the goal of it? What is the basis of it? How do you go about doing it? And what should happen if you do it correctly? So that's like looking at the view of the practice and the, and the result of it. And if you're doing a concentration practice like shamatha meditation or focus meditation— you're trying to develop the ability to really stabilize your mind onto a single thing, That's, which is a great starting point for all of them because if you can't do that, uh, it, the rest of it is going to uh, elude you because while you're trying to put your mind into a devotional state or whatever, you're going to be thinking about your bills and you're going to be thinking about your girlfriend and you're going to be thinking about the rent and so forth. Well,
0: some of us would say that would often happen unless some divine being just says, pulls you out of it. Because there, there is an experience. I, I'm still waiting.
1: <laughs> it's the mysteries I mean, uh, of the uh, yeah. You know. I mean,
0: has that happened to you? I've had very. I, I've been much more methodical the last three or four years mm-hmm. about you know meditating every day, no matter what mood I'm in. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I turned that corner after decades of not being that way. Right. And uh, before I did that, I convinced myself that I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then one day, I just decided, started doing it, and now mm-hmm. now now I. I know I can do it but 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 even in these last few years and certainly in the decades before that, there's a tremendous variety of experiences that that that, that I had, and there were some days where uh I was just dutifully sitting and couldn't do much about my my mind and mm-hmm. didn't really feel anything particularly spiritual, but mm-hmm. I at least had done my sort of uh, kept my promise to myself that I would sit for a half hour. Right. And there were other times where almost instantly a vibration Mm -hmm. came to me. Now, that's, I had a, 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 you know, a teacher that I've talked about on these podcasts, Hilda Charlton, who was. You know, close to Ram Dass and who I originally found out about from Ram Dass. And what's the name? Hilda Charlton. She passed in nineteen eighty nine. She used to do meditations in New York for okay. every week for the decades before that. She'd studied with Yogananda as a young woman, and then spent a lot of time in India. And uh, there's a and 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 she was very much into the universal path. So she'd have uh, Buddhists speak and rabbis, Christians, Native Americans, and but at the core of it was was a Bhakti type of a. Mm-hmm. Approach that that spoke deepest to me, bhakti, meaning just love of God, and then sort of uh, leave it with leave it with the bigger energy. You know, uh, it's um, you know, Ramakrishna, uh, you know, says um, I said again, I've I've said this before on these things, but it's my favorite thing. You know, he says, if you're in the mango orchard, do you want to need to know the number of the leaves on every branch? or or the number of trees in the orchard, why don't you just pick one of the mangoes and eat it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was sort of, that was sort of, uh, and that's still sort of a big part of my So I found the real disparity that I, and, and of course you have a dual, it's so interesting talking to you about this because you have this other role in the world of the work you've done with Krishna Das, which is, which is so much revolving around the power of the Holy name, mm-hmm. the power of, of the sound of the Holy name, the chanting and the, and, and the name itself. And that, 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 that is t- in some way that my intellect can't explain. And maybe no one's can, you know, connects you with some bigger energy than, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bigger part of yourself mm-hmm. other than, than the chattering mind. Sure. And that, um, and that therefore through that love, uh, it changes the dynamic dramatically. Sure, uh, and and I've yeah I've I found a tremendous variety of uh, of those things. But I'm a big believer. If you
1: can't meditate, pray. That's what I always told people for years.
0: <laughs> Prayer's <laughs> a lot easier. Is that the
1: fourth down prescription or drop back and punt? <laughs> if I, you don't can't know, med- I don't think, you meditate well, pun- on the first three downs. And on the fourth uh, one, you, I, I right. don't know.
0: Because punting <laughs> indicates. Uh, uh, that you're that you're uh, a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody else mm-hmm. is getting control of the ball. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, punt is better than mm-hmm. sort of being tackled in the end zone, but it's right. still not the goal. <laughs> okay. It doesn't get you your ultimate goal right. of scoring a touchdown. If sure. we're going to take this football meditation, whereas to me, uh, being in love with God is a touchdown, regardless mm-hmm. of how you get there. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but nonetheless, it's 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 uh, it, it it's just. I just easier, you know, I, I, I again, I, I, you know, I, my life is better now that I'm meditating every day, but, but, but I, I found when I couldn't do that prayer was a lot
1: better than just hating myself. There's an interesting point you're making there that even though you're saying that there's a sort of a power and a, a greater power in a way, um, there's a difference whether you're doing your practice or not. In t- in terms of your ability to connect to it, aren't you saying that in essence by what you just said? Um, in other words, you have to do your part. Well, what's your part? You know, it depends. Your part on, at this point is sitting on that cushion part, for a part, half hour. Part a day. of it,
0: part of it has to do with um, it's a different time in my life, right? And uh, you know, I, I you know, I don't. Uh, I mean, the implication, if I'm saying sort of something is better for me, then it's I'm kind of telling other people it would be better for them, which I'm really not comfortable doing. Because in my own experience, I've been through so many different phases and and at different times, different things have put me in touch with what I consider to be, you know, uh, the highest part of myself and Mm -hmm. and, and, and reality. And it, it, it flickers and I prefer it when it shines more and is dark less, you know. But I think it's a different experience having kids in the house than not having kids in the house. I think it's a difference being, you know, working, uh, you know, 14 hours a day and working seven hours a day. You know, I I, I, I think that, that that there's different circumstances possibly. Uh, there may be – there's undoubtedly some plan for my life that I, my conscious mind is not aware of that uh, that is doing it this way. And I'm all for it. I, I, I think it's a – you know uh, – I, I like the idea of practice. I don't like it when there comes across a description of it that makes one feel guilty if you're not practicing. <laughs> you know, I don't really think that's yeah. like a spiritual thing. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think different strokes for different folks, mm-hmm. you know. So so tell me quickly, what were the different songs
1: you were going to have for these
0: uh, realms?
1: Uh, I can remember a couple of them. Uh, there was, for the God Realm, was, I'm on the top of the world looking down down on creation remember that one carpenters yeah. Mm. and then uh you know the jealous god realm would be what have you done for me lately mm. um the human realm i think was i honestly love you <laughs> mm. um I'm trying to think i'd have i'd have to look it up the, the other's elude yeah, yeah. me at the moment and why did you decide not to use them you thought oh i didn't decide not to use them you know as this is like you know in the book world, as you know, the, the producer is the editor. Yeah. So it would be like I played a bass part and they didn't like it, so they, they chopped it out. Right, you right. Know, there was a lot of changes to the book that, that were done that way Right. from right. the editor's point of view. Right, right. I also had some interesting stories from in their own words about people that were sort of kind of almost model realm dwellers. You know, I, I interviewed a guy that we m- might both know who was the, you know, uh, CEO. CFO of a big, big record company at, about the Jealous God realm. And mm-hmm. he was describing exactly what you described. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd say, you know, the guy would come in, you know, uh, the, the head of the company, uh, one of the A&R guys would come in with a particular watch, you know, and he said, you're not wearing that watch. I'm wearing that watch. You, we're not both wearing that that watch. Take it off. Mm-hmm. You know, so... the <laughs> <laughs> you have a look of familiarity on your face. You know that idea. Now, that that one I never. No, no, that's a not look literally of com, maybe, but you that's know, a,
0: yeah. compassion and
1: yeah. Well, coinders. that's why in each of these realms, there's a meditation practice that allows you to cultivate what's missing in, in that realm. That's my
0: favorite part of the book, mm-hmm. by the way, is, is 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 mm-hmm. that you give a meditation for each one yeah. of these because mm-hmm. because that's a that's really helpful.
1: Yeah, what's missing in the jealous god realm is compassion. You don't really care about anybody else.
0: What about the concept of ethics as it pertains to uh, to, to the spiritual path? Um, you know, Jesus said, "You'll know the tree by its fruit." Right. I always thought that's one of the great lines. Great description of karma, and and uh, really? and um, I thought that 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 I that, that, that there that t- to me, I do tend to uh, judge things a lot by if they conform to. Uh, let's say if things if things violate. Et- ethical mm-hmm. norms for mm-hmm. me, I, I exclude them from mm-hmm. respecting them. You know, I sure. I, I, I feel, and, and I think again, going back to the sixties, if more people had done that, I think we would have had some less uh, less Charles Manson type type uh-huh. things. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, just a certain set of norms, the golden rule, you know, these sort of things. How does that fit into the cosmology that you're writing about?
1: Well, the the notion, and it's pretty well explored in the book, would be the what's called the law of karma so if there's some kind of you know superior ethical system it would be that things produce their own results uh like produces like so you know i describe it in the book as um karma is a sort of result of causes and conditions recreating themselves creating further causes and conditions and so you end up in kind of a cycle of of creation in which uh cause and effect is really manifesting Hmm. really clearly so i described in the book as it's like a fish in a tropical fish tank and a little trail of poop comes out and then the fish swims around the fish tank and now the trail of poop is right in in front of it and says well where did that come from and uh, you know karma is like that it's like just a sort of natural cause and effect of our own behavior thoughts and and actions and and how do they ripple through the world and then they kind of are in a contained environment they come back to us
0: so sort of the idea of being ethical is to is to just reduce your own bad
1: karma? Yeah. And ethics sort would, of se- ethics as self-interest, basically? No, not just purely self-interest, because um, it would be to create benefit or well-being for oneself and for others, both. And I don't think you would have to create that as a contradiction, necessarily. In a world of scarcity, that would be a contradiction. In a kind of rich type of world that we live in, it's not a contradiction. You can You can create benefit for yourself and for others. And um, I don't think it's a contradiction. It should be possible, <laughs> like Donald Trump asking the audience. No, Donald. To... <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump. Notwithstanding, I think you'd have to say that that's a world of scarcity. Yeah, yeah. You know. Let,
0: let, let, what about? Um, I want to get back to this uh, fascinating to, to me thing that, as you say, you've been studying and Buddhism for forty-five years, teaching it for most of that time. Um, that's all right. I've been in the music business for forty nine years. <laughs> so have I. I've been in both.
1: How about that?
0: <laughs> well, that's. I want to get to that. Yeah. But but and at the same time, you're so uh, involved in 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 uh music over these last many years, mm-hmm. and that's it's a it's a very um, it feels superficially like a different path and a different space, and yet you just flow in and out of these worlds mm-hmm. in in a, in a unified ma- manner. Um, did did you at any time have any tension about that, or it just
1: intuitively just felt so natural to you, you just didn't think about it? You know, I am—it's so obvious that for different people there's different ways of going about all this. Um, you know, like, just take reggae music, for example. You know, the backbeat's not on two and four in reggae music. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's a big difference, but it's still like you just listen to it for a while and you're in it, and— if, if it's about communication, if it's about affection, if it's about positive qualities, then basically I'm for it. <laughs> the simple as <is> that. <laughs> but being for it in theory is
0: different from spending such a big portion of your life being involved with it.
1: Well, here's the thing you know, looking at KD, you know, uh, that relationship developed over time. Uh, if you're talking about him in particular, you know, obviously the Bhakti community has different different players in no, it. No, no,
0: I'm talking about him and I'm talking about you. But he
1: is, for example, studies tons of Buddhism. He's always going to the, he goes to the Dalai Lama's workshops more than I do. And, you know, Sokni Rinpoche and this one and that one. So, and he talks a lot from a Buddhist point of view, you know. So I, I don't think either of us see it as an either or kind of situation at all. It's really um, different methods and, uh, he also always is co-teaching with a Buddhist teacher, you know Sharon Salzberg and he are always doing workshops together. I think we have a beautiful community. I love that retreat in Maui because the sense of community and affection between people is so evident yeah I agree you know it's, I, it's, and I think it should get bigger than that. I think maybe it should include a lot of different traditions
0: yeah there's a hint of sort of the native Hawaiian tradition every once mm-hmm. in a while and uh, yeah I would I would uh, I, I'm sure there would be Christian and Jewish mystics that would fit right in. No doubt. And and, and Muslim mystics, you know, uh it's uh, it's just it's hard to do. Uh, putting on events or creating anything on the ground is is, is always harder than it looks. But I uh, to me that's the yeah, that's the reality. Um
1: You know, there's an idea in Shambhala, which is the tradition I, that that Trungpa Trump started. Um, and there's two ideas in it that are really powerfully presented. One is the idea of basic goodness, that all uh, people have basic, fundamental goodness in, in them. Uh, you may have to dig. You, you you may have to shift your perspective. But uh, it's not that different from the idea of Buddha, nature, or Christ conscious, you know, all these ideas that fundamentally either people are good or they're not. And um, it really colors your reality. What what you what you think of as the basis of our existence, you know. And then the other idea is enlightened society, that it is possible to, for people to come together, and it's not. That's not based on everybody being a Buddhist at all. It's bigger than that.
0: Yeah, I um, I think some of the. I'm a big. Uh, every once in a while, I read something of Thomas Paine. You know, and the the founders of the country were were all de- deists. As far as I can mm-hmm. understand, most of them—Franklin and Payne and Jefferson—I think—and I, think. I don't—I know don't exactly know what a deist is, you know. But it's—it's it's, no. a, it's, a—it's—it's a—it's a form of spirituality that's not connected to hierarchy. That's for sure, you know. It's—it's—you it's, mm-hmm. it, it, know, there's not a there's not a pope of deism or okay, a head so. rabbi of deism or a roshi of mm-hmm. deism, and it, you know. And and I never quite understood it, but it's—it's it's sort of this odd mystic core of the United States that that. Uh, I, I I would love to uh know more about one of these days. You know, it's uh you know, what is that pyramid with the third eye doing on the dollar bill? You know, it's obviously a Masonic symbol, but what Wow the, you know, what what are the nature of the Masonic traditions that actually inform the creation of the of the country? Have you ever uh looked into any of this?
1: Uh in terms of the history of the US, not particularly, but the history of theism, which is what I would call it definitely, because one of the things about Buddhism is they say it's non theistic. Right which you really have to know what's meant by that because uh, the idea of a kind of separate creator deity uh, that has substantial individual existence that's permanent is not something that is you know verified by uh, you know looking into it deeper the idea that there's a sort of hierarchy of existence and different levels of consciousness and things like that is definitely part of Buddhism so for example I would say Buddhism is if you go deeply into it, and you go into tantra. It's polytheistic, pantheistic in the same way that Hinduism would be.
0: Really, that seems like such a contradiction of uh, uh, of what I thought it was. You know, um, so there, are, there are, uh, expand
1: that. What do you mean it would be
0: the pantheistic?
1: You well, know? the idea of one single creator deity that has substantial existence and that can save you, that could rescue your poor individual existence in some way, is not the pursuit, that's not what the Buddhist practitioner is, is, is going after. Um, but the idea that consciousness or mind has different layers of expression to it, some of which are, um, for example, if you look at Tantric Buddhist art, there are thousands of deities that are portrayed. They represent compassion. They represent wisdom. They re- they embody. They're like embodiments of different characteristics. Right. That's
0: what I. But are they? I'm asking. I don't nope, know the answer nope. to
1: this. I've always wondered.
0: Are are they symbolic, mm-hmm. or are they represent actual beings that existed at one time or exist now, or or or, or are they or are they symbolic?
1: You know, uh, I, I think depending on the point of view. Of, and also what practice you're doing. They could be viewed in a variety of ways. Well, how do you view them? I view them as both. But I also view human beings as both. So that's an interesting, interesting thing. Is are you symbolic? Are you representing something? Are you some kind of solid, actual being? And what the Buddhists would say is, you're an individual being, but only in a very relative sense. You know, Everything that you take to be permanent about yourself is, is clearly not permanent. And not only that, but we spend a lot of time defending those things, and we end up being a neurotic mess because of that. So that's... I
0: always say when I'm dreaming, I don't even know what my name is. That's right. So that's just the closest I can no. come to in my <laughs> life. I dream every night. I don't always remember them. But yeah. I, I, I've really been checking on this for years to see if I'm wrong about it, and I, and I don't remember a single dream where I had a name.
1: Yeah, well, that's and a, and that's... in
0: waking life, I'm quite interested in what my name is and what people think of the person with that name, and yeah. you know, I have credit cards with that name on them. And, <laughs> you know, I literally and, and dreams are as, uh, certainly as real to me as being uh, being awake. You know,
1: well, well, in a way, there you go then, because th- you're experiencing a certain aspect of your mind that's not really dwelling on that sense of identity, yet is still experiencing some something. So uh, dreams, but that doesn't mean there's not a me. Well, this is a really, you know, this is the the shallow understanding of the Buddhist thing is to say, oh, uh, if, you know, remember that thing, the, the the Jewish koans that were going on for a while? You know, if if there's no self, then whose arthritis is this?
0: <laughs> no, I missed, I missed that one, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, which is sort of, the self is just a relative phenomenon. It's something that happens from moment to moment. Uh, you know, what does Danny Goldberg at this stage really have in common with you in 1967? Is it the same person? Well, that's been one of the f- enjoyable things about the journey. It's,
0: the journey, I mean, there's a lot that's the same and obviously an enormous amount that's different. I mean, I was certainly s- much more ignorant then.
1: You know, no question about that. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> you know, I just had much less information right. and was much more a prisoner of uh, adolescent emotions mm-hmm. Uh uh, you know, uh, and, um, and uh, you know, uh, in that respect, less conscious. But then there's this other part of me that's absolutely the same person. Hmm. There's, there's just no... And there's a part
1: of me in my dreams that's the same person. I, again, I just yeah. don't have a name for it. So there's some continuity is what what we would call that. But there's also some discontinuity.
0: Well, the discontinuity is obvious every time you get a haircut and... Go sure, in the bathroom, you know, your body is changing, <laughs> and uh, one's mood and mind changes on an extremely regular basis. Sure. you know, if you're me, uh, you know uh, but um, so I'm more fascinated on trying to understand what's what is continuous than what's sure. not, because what's not is like, especially the older i yeah. get the yeah. less uh, sense of anything uh, you know impermanence you don't need, i don't need to go to uh, you know uh, retreats about impermanence mm-hmm. i uh, just got my medicare card yeah. I, you know it's <laughs> like my, all my phone calls aren't returned as quickly as they used to be i mean <laughs> I'm, I'm living yeah. in imper- yeah, impermanence yeah cloud is impermanent <laughs> you, you know that's one of the good things uh, there yeah. there are, i i say to a lot of people there are good things about being older and that's one of them yeah sure you, you, mm-hmm. you know there are things i miss about being younger the things i really cherish about being older mm-hmm but 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 there is something that's the same absolutely and mm-hmm. and and I'm 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 um I'm definitely related to that 17-year-old and I'm definitely related to the to the person in the dreams with no name well here's an interesting thought is it the same or is it similar well i my opinion at this moment is that it's the same okay. i certainly don't have okay. a logical <laughs> argument and i'm not sure i'm right but that's okay. my opinion
1: and well then is the, is it a thing is there some cuz the
0: idea of eternity yeah which is to me a a beautiful word right and one that i associate with a high vibration is seems to be a contradiction to the word impermanence
1: yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's an interesting juxtaposition. And, uh, you know, I have an album that I did with uh, Will Lee produced called From Here to Eternity. <laughs> so, you know, um it's it's interesting that um eternity and what was the other one that you were? Impermanence. And impermanence. Yeah, you you
0: know, that's what you guys yeah, That's the spectrum. Thing. Yeah. No, no, no! You see, this is interesting. I'm not saying yeah. it's a spectrum. I'm saying there are two words that you I associate what, yeah. that I associate yeah. with wisdom that I aspire to. Yeah, good. That okay. appear to mm-hmm. be in contradiction. Intuitively, I don't think they are, but I don't exactly see yeah.
1: how they fit together. Well, I'm big on spectrums. You know, I think you know, like a spectrum like our country right now is a spectrum. Hmm. You know, and it's part of part of one totality. So, um, eternal means something continues to exist impermanence means it ceases to exist so they got to be part of the same thing that's obvious right so the question is what is it that continues to exist and what is it that ceases to exist that's why i would explore it
0: okay and what is it that continues to exist
1: you have to tell me because you're arguing for that side. <laughs> a vibe, <laughs> a vibe, <laughs> a vibe. The Danny, the DG vibe.
0: Well, you know, I I don't think that the letters DG uh, matter at all. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, I'm explicitly saying that the name. Uh, You know, that's one of the things I like about noticing this is is that it takes that whole pressure about. I mean, when I was starting in the music business, uh, I used to rewrite my bio on a monthly basis every time i did something (laughs) new and this was before computers so you had to type them out Mm -hmm. i must have had 75 bios that i've written for myself i still constantly update them but it's easier in the the computer world so it's been a quite an obsession and i love not being obsessed with that it's a huge blessing relief liberating sense you know to 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 get away from that obsession still honoring the work that I do, you know, yeah. to the extent I do it anymore, right. you know. Um, and, and obviously, you you had uh, at least one foot in that world for decades, you know, yeah. work with, for those who don't know, Dave's worked with Lana Del Rey, Maria Muldar you know, the, the Oasis is his song, and hundreds of pieces of music that people are familiar with, in addition to the work he's done with Krishnadas. And that's certainly, it's hard to uh, not, uh, and, and in a way, for an artist... And I think we both love great artists, mm, definitely. you know, mm-hmm. and there's something that great artists can do that is so inspiring. I'm not saying it's as high as the Dalai Lama or Jesus, but it's mm-hmm. definitely higher than most Yeah, and mm-hmm. brings out often the best and stimulates things. And it's just beautiful. And the people who make art are often, uh, uh quite, uh, you know, tormented, uh, 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 and i'm not even sure how many great artists there are that don't have a big ego because i think to have the strength to ignore the thousands of other paths that are available to you and to do things in the in the in the conventional way the great artists are people who break convention and who tune into something that, that moves art you know forward so you think of you know dylan going electric or you know all sorts of other things you know so, so how do you juxt- – what, what have been your thoughts about the perils of having a big ego compared with the fact that some of the people who do The Greatest Art have big egos yeah. and probably
1: need them to do yeah. what they do? Yeah. It's, it's of course, uh, a very interesting question because lately even there are some of these artists who are sort of, uh, you know, cohabitating the spiritual Realm, well too.
0: and there were going back even uh, George Harrison sure. you know certainly yep, yep, yep. Uh, and uh, Pharaoh Sanders you yep. know and uh, John Sting. Coltrane I mean there's uh, a lot of
1: people you could point yes, to
0: Yes and then in more modern times yeah obviously yeah. Sting Carlos Santana you know and and many many others but uh, so um and and you know with Bob Dylan who knows what he believes but he definitely has frequently done you know did three christian albums he's done oh. a lot of things about Judaism, you know, so yeah, our whole life has, we've seen this, but, but, but on the other hand, there's, there's the vanity, the worrying about the photo, the worrying about where I am on the charts, how many tickets did I sell, uh, what party was I invited to, where am I sitting, what tone of voice did someone use when they said hello to me?
1: Uh, Well, again, coming back to the book, this is the God realm and the jealous God realm. This is, this is the, Mm. these are the realms that Mm. we've been inhabiting. Uh, you know it's funny cuz I, I i mean you might say the same thing about yourself but i've been an enabler in, in those realms i haven't really drunk the full milkshake from either one right i go in there i work and i i really haven't bought into the whole thing for me, myself personally right so right. that's been the unique part of my life i've i mean at the time at the time that you're talking about but a little later like in the 70s you know, I was going back and forth between studying with Trung and playing in a band with Jerry Garcia, you know. And the, the experiences were pretty close on each other's tails in terms of experiencing an environment in which there's tremendous adulation. Actually, in both environments, there can be adulation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then the question is, is when somebody has all that charisma and energy coming to them, how are they handling that? Are they redistributing that energy? Are they... Kind of feeding off of it, are they starving other people? You know, are the other people around them getting skinnier and and kind of more needy, Uh, or is it an enriching environment for everybody? So I don't believe that a great artist. I think we could name a bunch of great artists who handle the kind of large scale of what they're doing fairly well. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, well, you worked with one of them, I think. Uh, think Bonnie. Mm -hmm. I don't see her as like some kind of. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, I see. Maybe I see. You, you had a close look, but I mean. You There's know,
0: sp- I think that if you're in form, if you're—I yeah. was taught that if you're in a human form, yeah. you've got some human qualities. That's right. And 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 you know, I I, I just think that's the reality of being on this planet mm-hmm. and being in in this species. Whatever yeah. we are as souls, to the extent we're having an incarnation of the species, we we have some of the characteristics of it. And so I don't I I don't think it's reasonable to expect whether it's Martin Luther King, who's my sure. favorite human being of sure. my great, lifetime, yeah, great you know, uh, he had very uh you know he had uh, weaknesses as well he had uh he, he did a whole sermon called the um, drum major instinct about mm-hmm. how saying we all have egos yes and and you know i mean i can't do justice to it it's worth listening to it. it's online and uh, uh but but it's what do you do do you harness that ego to do good in the world or or or, or not he said the idea that we're not going to have an ego is is just not rational
1: i don't know if i would agree completely with that Because I think there is a phenomenon of egolessness that— I will say this. The artists I've worked with— Are not egoless. uh, uh, —are not egoless. Well, it's funny because we talk about something in the the Buddhist world called authentic presence, that somebody has a really large aura, if you will, like a Dalai Lama type of person. If you've ever been around him or Karmapa or any of these great teachers, they have a really large field of energy. Hmm. People can feel them, you know— And I would say it's not centralized or localized in them in a way that they have to sustain anything. And that's the thing is if then there are regular people who are like just have a large field and maybe a lot of spiritual development. But there's still some clinging going on to the sense of identity that they that they have. And um, so I think there is a difference between egoless and, and, you know, highly charismatic. Those things can look like the same thing, but they're not.
0: Well you're a pretty good example of a human being and I urge every anyone listening to this to uh, read Awakening from the Daydream I'm still trying to figure it out uh, but uh, the pr- the meditations in there I find very helpful and uh, oh, I
1: very uh, thank you very much for spending some time with me today That oh, was great Danny good to see you and talk to you Cool thank you